0: I'm Jamie O'Hane, CPA, Small Business Advanced Tax Planning and Compliance Extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Uh, today, we'd like to welcome to the podcast, Damian Lupo. Damian is the best-selling author of more than eleven books in personal finance and money thinking, and host of the Financial Underdogs podcast. Owner of fifty-plus companies and founder of his own martial art, Did you. you did awesome. Damian's newest book, Unicornonom- Unicornomics, I got it. Lays out the essential pieces required for any budding unicorn, whether the entrepreneur entrepreneur wants to create a million million-dollar or a billion-dollar business. Damien's secret to outdoing the competition is high-tough, not high-tech. I love that. And his secret sauce has more to do with mistake volume. I want to talk about that. Uh, More mistakes, faster than the competition, his key to success. Playing by a different set of rules, he even bought his first rental house with a visa. That is hilarious. A move that snowballed into owning 150 rental houses in seven states in less than five years. In 2008, he lost the entire $20 million. But recreated his wealth and reinvented his life over four transformational years. So many big words. Today, he leads a th- he leads three multi-billion dollar global companies with one unified mission to free people from money bondage. Welcome.
1: Good to be here. Good to see
0: you. Yay. I know. I'm glad. I was like, yay, Damien. <laughs> um, it's so fun to do the pre-interviews first. I actually did a pre-interview today and the guy was like, I'm just so happy that you're doing a pre-interview. I'm like, well... Then I know who you are. <laughs> like your face is familiar, so welcome.
1: That this foreign alien that shows up on the show, who are you, what are yeah, you doing?
0: Every once in a while though, I'll do like a pre-interview and then like six months later, they end up on my calendar and I'm like, who is this person? And they show up and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that person. Uh, we have kittens over here, what are you doing? She's a goofball. Um, So first question's first. Uh, what was your first job?
1: My first job? You know, I was, I was doing, I was doing work. I remember, I mean, probably I was hustling when I was six, seven years old, just doing things door to door, selling Olympia sales club, you know, like wrapping paper and yeah. and that kind of stuff. I, you know, remember those things where you, it was like uh world's finest chocolate where you mm-hmm. sell the mint chocolate things. So I was good at that, except I was good at being the customer too. I just ate all the product. And so that actually didn't really end well, you know, an extra five pounds that I didn't need. And right. And, uh, it's
0: like the Girl Scout cookie problem, right?
1: Totally the same thing. It was every year, same problem. But yeah, it was. I had every every job under the sun. I mean, I, I worked in the meat market, putting my hand down a drain to clean it out during game season in Alaska. So I've had every dirty job. If you've seen that show, yeah, yeah. Where, like Dirtiest Jobs, yeah. I've gone dirtier. So I've done That's kind of crazy. everything. Yeah.
0: Um, so give us the cliff notes on your career journey.
1: I mean, career journey is interesting because I, I went down traditional traditional path going to college. And I got thrown out because I started a bookstore <laughs> on campus that put the other bookstore out of business. And they got really pissed off about it, told the, pre- the president, he said, Hey, you can't do this. And I said, yeah, but I just paid for school. And he's like, you're going to have to leave. And I said, well, okay. So I, had, I I voluntarily left as my, and there was a shoe up my butt right off campus. And that just led me to, it was the first red flag when you're an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. there's, you're not supposed to be an, you're, usually you're a terrible employee. Uh, And skipping ahead for a second, ten years ago was the last job I had, Mm -hmm. where I was a volunteer for a political campaign, volunteer, and I got fired because I'm such a bad volunteer, or I'm a bad employee because I wanted to win. Like as an entrepreneur, you play to win. You don't play for a paycheck. You're always wanting to win, and they didn't like that. (laughs) So in between those times, I just I I started a lot of companies, and that the the thing that I talk about a lot and I think it's important is this this mistake mentality. Mm -hmm. As an entrepreneur, you have to embrace the mistakes and, and it, like live for them. Like I'm going to learn something today because I'm going to screw something up. It's just, you don't want to take the, the torpedo be- below the waterline unless you want to lose $20 million. And that's, that's its own experience. Right. So the, it, there's, there's a lot meshed in the middle of that. It's, mm-hmm. but it, the journey is, is really about not being on a merry-go-round playing Groundhog Day. It's about continuing to grow from the experiences, starting things, failing them, learning from them, using that as a stepping stone. And and that's what led to Unicornomics and, and the, the current ventures. It was just being willing to fill, fail a lot and not worrying about the judgment.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it sounds like also it's willing to do things differently or, you know, pick a different path. There's no rules, right?
1: <laughs> as, as an entrepreneur, you're, you're literally making up the path half the time. Mm-hmm. You can model. You also have to say, okay, if I'm going to do something that's going to be groundbreaking, then you have to be willing to be different. You have to either be first or you have to be different. If you're the same, you know, you're know, you probably gonna get beaten down by price at some point if you don't actually have a niche. And that's that's usually what people try to do is they try to play it safe and then they get beat
0: with price. Yeah, I think um, you know one of the things we're doing right now in our business is, um, I just sent out a bunch of proposals that were like double fees. And it's not significant, but it's really kind of double fees because I haven't raised fees in a little bit. And I was like, I'm gonna lose people. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, like we're gonna lose who we're supposed to lose in this situation. Um, but I'm making my own rules here. Um, and I try to model what I want my clients to do, so I'm gonna do the same thing I would tell them to do, which is you're way underpriced. let's let's raise them. It might hurt a little bit.
1: <laughs> well you, here's one of the things that I noticed about that because I think I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. If you, if you tend to say, well, I need to be cheaper, you don't actually have the resources to to deliver world-class performance service products, whatever. And, and then you end up not being able to deliver a brand promise or your brand just sucks. And so if you want to do a great job, if you want to be distinctive and you want people to be really happy, you have to charge enough to be able to deliver. And a lot of people don't get that. And they go, Oh, somebody's charging less. You know what? Do a better deal, do a better service and charge more. And people are actually going to want to be with you because they like the experience.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's what I, you know, we always, we do year round. Our clients are all on a monthly fee. Um, and I also knew that the people that didn't that that loved us but didn't really value us would leave. And actually, I had one today that was just like, "We're not able to do that. We loved being with you. Thank you. We're just not going to be able to go forward." And I'm like, "Totally cool. You know, it's you know, I don't take any of this personally, but totally cool." Um, but you know, they they liked us. They just didn't value us enough for that price to make sense. And that is fine, right? And I want those people to move on. You know, those aren't the people we serve the best anyway.
1: There, Jamie, there's there's a weird thing about the attachment to money that I think a lot of people have a problem with. I even notice this every once in a while where where somebody asks for a refund or we have to fire somebody, mm-hmm. and and part of me still wants the money and I laugh at myself. I'm like, you don't. There's nothing about this that you need or even want except there's this energetic connection, this addiction to money. Mm-hmm. And when you when you stop getting staying addicted to the money and you focus on the right relationships, the money always works itself out. And it's funny, even at this point in my life, that still pops up. And then I observe myself and I laugh. And I go, this is, you're being an idiot. Well, we
0: all have because our money stuff, right?
1: Totally. We Everybody have does. Totally.
0: Um, and as much as, you know, this is the Abundant Beans podcast, um, <laughs> you know, it's been a, it's a shift for me to move to abundance, but I had to, to run a, you know, I have to, to run a successful business. You know, I have to feel like whatever I'm putting out there is going to come back to me at some point or, you know, has a really good purpose. Otherwise, what am I doing? You know, like if we're just pinching pennies, we're not, we're not impacting anybody. We're not impacting our vendors. We're not impacting, you know, clients. We're not doing any of that. Um, So if my impact as a business owner was that I pay all my vendors quickly and full price and actually let them know when I'm, I'm out of scope and they need to give me more money then that's my impact as a business owner. Maybe I don't have a million dollar business, but I took care of my people. So I just find it, it's just been interesting. It's been an interesting shift for me because I grew up, you know, thrifting and, you know, things like that. But, and then I watched my brother who's like very penny penny pincher. Like they're going to be retiring in like 10 years. And I'm like, yeah, no, I like to spend money. (laughs) You know, like I feel like someday, (laughs) you know, like it's just, I'd rather live, a good
1: life now. So. It, the truth is, it's not an either-or
0: really situation, not. That's and really people.
1: Th- th- I think people are, are thinking because they're they're told they're told garbage that you have to either do one or the other. You live now, or you live later. And and the the truth is, if you serve more, you can live the whole time, and if you serve better, and it, I I find that fascinating. That it yeah, and and that we think that these things are true, and mm-hmm. they're only true because we believe they're true. And you, you made a comment about how, you know, spending money to get money back or, or to, if we do things with the expect, expectation that we're going to have something come back and we force the timetable, mm-hmm. that's where there's a lot of frustration. Yeah. And if you, in fact, go out and, and serve people and stop expecting something, you just trust it. There's a difference between expectation and trust, yeah. where you deliver, and you're not looking at somebody going, "Okay, you're gonna send me money, you're gonna do it in a month or a year." Yeah. If yeah, you do you that, the energy's bad, right? It's terrible. Like <laughs> it may not be that person that actually comes back to you. It's there's a different energy spiritually around delivering and and serving. Mm-hmm. And it's funny when you really get that, the abundance happens, and you you go amazing. But you actually expect it because you trust it first.
0: Yeah, and I think you know it takes a while too. You know, I I think that's part of it too, is that um I made I made the decision really early to just I'm gonna pay my vendors. I want people to happily pay me. I'm going to happily pay people. You know, like I'm gonna get (laughs) golden rule. right? Um, and I was like, we'll just see how this goes. And I had been an employee for many, many, many years before that. Um and it takes a while to build up that I don't even know what it is, karma. I don't even know, but yeah, I have no expectation of it. You know, I just know that eventually something positive is going to happen because of that interaction or of that positive, abundant thinking.
1: We I, I, one of the, this is a really important point, and and you may have said it before in the past, mm-hmm. but just to really hammer on this: paying people when they do things for you, and paying them well and paying them fast. And it's fascinating that people get frustrated; they try to use vendors as like credit lines, oh, I'll pay this person because it's it's not due it for thirty, but then I'll stretch it another thirty. You're basically stretching them and putting pressure on them, and then you and then you want somebody to pay you on time. And here's the thing: if you actually pay people and you're willingly and graciously and happily paying them then you have a different energy you have an expectancy your energy is like of course you're going to pay me right now because I did this work and people are like of course I would because it's normal you're not they're not fighting a lack of integrity you're actually being in integrity and that's a huge part of how people experience you is what your integrity is
0: yeah and i just it's interesting um so with the price raising it's just like we'll just see what happens you know like i sent that stuff out into the ether and i'm like that which will need to leave, we'll leave, and that which needs to stay, we'll stay, and we'll see what happens. I do this every once in a while. It's kind of like a little bit of a purge too, to just kind of get our, you know, the clients that really shouldn't be hanging on, kind of to let them go, um, because that's better for them too, you know.
1: Do, do you? I mean, I, I, as. Whoever wants to be with a vendor, whoever wants to have somebody where you're not really a good fit, nobody actually wants to be in that environment on either side. So yeah. it, it is, you're, you're actually doing good for everybody.
0: It's, just, it's always interesting to me um, how, how many people, and we'll actually get to some questions here in a minute, but um, how many people actually stick with their, like, usually it's their trusted advisors, their financial advisors, their accounting people or whatever, when it's really just not a good fit or they're really not delivering what they want or what they need but it's just i don't even know a comfortable relationship maybe or not even that it's just they deal with it because it's just easier than trying to find somebody else i don't i
1: think a lot of i think it's like with most things people do legacy whatever they have done they keep doing their their future looks like their past because they're not willing to change anything because it's comfortable mm-hmm. it's safe and yeah. and then you're you're it's a it's groundhog day so if you want Groundhog Day, that is a great plan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Continue on that. I don't want that, <laughs> but you know, I'm unemployable at this point. So, you know, we got to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's see. Um, so let's talk about um, your learned mistakes and successes in, you know, in your career journey give me kind of like the top three of each.
1: The 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 learned experiences, the mistakes, the journey. I mean,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. You know,
1: with with it, like, it's funny because for most people, they probably go, oh, "This was a big one." And when I've I've had fifty plus companies, and so the the mistakes, it's like Encyclopedia Galactica. <laughs> I mean, the, the here here's one of the big ones when you're that I've learned, and finally I got this right, but it was in the beginning for many years, many many years, I screwed this up. When, when, you're, when you're bringing people on, like you're never going to get to any place of super success or super wealth if it's just you, like unless you're LeBron James or something, and, and even then you're not by yourself, you have a whole team supporting you. you. The question is, who are you bringing on? And a lot of that has to do with how much you trust yourself mm-hmm. and how much you can trust other people because if you trust yourself, if you have a lot of self-trust and, and self-respect, you'll trust other people and you'll be able to bring on A people. A people drive incredible operations. B's and C's, well, B's for work for the government and C's, they're terrible because they hate A's and they punch clocks and they're just that. That was one of the big mistakes. I had a lot of C's and some B's, but a lot of C's because they were cheap. And so was I. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the problems with pinching pennies. I wasn't willing to pay for the A's and A's know what they're worth. And so when you really trust people and you pay them well, it's amazing what happens. You kind of just have to get the hell out of the way Mm -hmm. and all sorts of magic happens. That was a huge one. And that's Mm -hmm. happened. I think for a lot of people that happens because we're, we, we, we want to keep what we have. We tend to try to trap whatever's there instead of being open with it and being, you know, trusting that it's going to get bigger, that we can create more pie. We say, this is the only pie. And then we try to keep that pie there, but then it rots. Like that doesn't really work.
0: Um, I actually realized today, I was talking to my coach this morning about our next hire. Um, And I need somebody to run, I need somebody to just like, I need somebody that tells me to get the hell out of the way. Like that is what I'm trying to hire right now because I am that person um, and I can't do everything. Um, But I was talking to my coach this morning and uh, we were talking about like who we need in here and what needs to happen. And I realized I kind of had this epiphany that I, I'm really good at hiring people that want to be micromanaged because I am such a strong personality. I'm really good at hiring people that want to be micromanaged. (laughs) or that, expect that, or like ask it of me because I'm such a strong personality. They just think I have all the answers.
1: I, that, that actually serves a, that, that serves part of the, the, one of the human needs for significance, because if we have to have people that are micromanaged, then it's it's providing significance to us that we're worth something because people need us. Yeah. So it's, so you, you are satisfying something. The question is, Could you satisfy it somewhere else?
0: Well, and that's just it. Those people drive me batshit crazy.
1: (laughs) But you still got significance, and that if we if we ignore those, then work.
0: Yeah, I don't understand. (laughs) Like it just like blows my mind every time. I'm like, what? I don't know. It's ten dollars off. Make a decision. I don't care. Put it somewhere. What? I don't. Why do you need? (laughs) Yeah, I don't need to clear. You don't need to clear that with me.
1: You, you, you'll find you, I had this conversation with my team recently, and, and during a, a an all team call, one of the guys said, you, don't, don't ask Damien. He, he trusts us to make decisions. Just go do it. And I went, Okay, that's great. Let's just make sure we have the right people with that type of empowerment so that you don't have people going out there and buying Ferraris with the petty cash. Like that's, you have to make sure you have the right people because if you do empower them, they will do this stuff. They will do the right thing and, and they will not ask you about spending $10. But you, you have to make sure the right people have the right empowerment and then and you do something else you create vision and create you know the big picture
0: i'm surprised you have ferrari's worth of petty cash
1: yeah hey you know what sometimes it happens when you're you're building a unicorn that can happen uh, or maybe it's like I a three-inch
0: accountant or... i'm like that's a really high petty cash balance
1: Damn. well you know billion dollar companies they could have a million dollars in petty cash because there's you know, could.
0: That's a couple tough ones
1: I don't know if it's technically accurate I'm just saying this is what you do when you're building I mean you think about building something there has to be if you're building building a billion dollar company mm-hmm. one of the things you realize is that founders tend to be a little bit crazy they're obsessed they're super obsessed they're into something and and they would do things like that well a, a Ferrari is a, it, like that's inventory like that would make sense to a unicorn maker <laughs>
0: Ferrari is inventory <laughs> So funny. Um, so let's talk about so your passion is freeing people from money bondage. Um, what does that look like practically? Like what is
1: practically that? it means understanding how to how to get retirement money in in your hands so that it's out of Wall Street. So you literally can do things that make sense that you're not getting raped and pillaged your entire life. I mean, our our entire so most people's liquidity, most people's net worth, real net worth, your house doesn't count. And I say that because you can't eat your house. You can you can eat your IRA or 401k or whatever or your cash. And so most people, that's where their stuff is. It's in these retirement accounts. And breaking bondage means getting out of the grips of the wolf of Wall Street. It means having control of that money and, and then knowing what to do with it. And so the entire mission, and what I do and my company does, we, we give people the tool to get control of it. And then we give them the, the, the education so that they actually have an idea of how to run it because otherwise they're going to be running scared.
0: Right. Like they wouldn't know what to do with it.
1: No. And when, when, would you ever be told that you, that the goal is, or you, the, the idea is, Hey, work for this company or work for a bunch of companies, have a bunch of money in a 401k. And then you wake up at 60 and all of a sudden you're supposed to be a great investor with a couple of million dollars. Like you don't have any investor skills. So that's, that's terrifying to most people.
0: Mm-hmm. I think people don't understand that that's what's happening on the back end though.
1: No. <laughs> like, well, no, um, we just go along. We play by the rules yeah. and then we wake up.
0: So let's talk about what, what is wealth. So you define this differently.
1: So I used to think wealth was a bunch of money. So I went out and made a bunch of money and I thought I was wealthy, but I was, I was like a million was fun. Two million was multimillion. And then I was like, oh, five is great. And I'm going to go for 10. And, and what I realized is that it was a never ending spiral into the abyss and it wasn't wealth. Wealth is, is where you have the ability to do what you want to do. But that, that was even a previous definition. Wealth truly is the lessons you've learned through the experience because it can't be taken away. Wealth cannot be taken away money can be taken away. It can go away. But true wealth, it's like the love of a child or a family member. It's like, it's there. It's, it's, it's almost wealth is almost a spiritual thing. If you think about it, because when you learn something, it can never go away. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the point of going out and making mistakes.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, I think that kind of speaks to time too, right? However we use our time is how we gain wealth, right? Whether, whatever that looks like.
1: It is. You squander so it. Finite. Right. Poor squandering poor. And, and I say, when I say squandering, sometimes I'm talking about playing it safe. You go, well, I'm doing the, I'm, I'm going and I'm punching my clock or I'm doing my thing. And I go, yeah, but you're just squandering. It's groundhog day. And so you're not getting wealthier. You're getting poorer. I don't, you might have more money in the bank. That doesn't mean anything. It truly doesn't mean anything. If you have more money in the bank, I'm getting wealthier. No, you're not. You're literally getting poorer because you're wasting time, not growing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of the new focus is, you know, even in companies as, you know, growth for all of their employees, either lateral or up or across or whatever. Um, and it's really fun to see those, the employees in those companies and how happy they are with like their, their choices. Cause that's just not going to be sitting at the desk doing the one thing they're doing forever. Um, but that flexibility is hugely important. Um, and they don't. They have less groundhog day because they are learning, probably, or they're using to use, getting to use different skills.
1: That, that's actually a huge lesson for for anybody that's that's working with teams, especially as an entrepreneur or a business owner, to really check in. It's one of the things that I do with with my team. Really deeply diving into their their wants, their needs, their dreams. There's a great book called I think it's called The Dream Manager, uh, by Kelly, and it talks about creating ways to creating a bridge to your teams, your employees, their, their dreams, mm-hmm. and, and asking them, because what, what we find when we go deep into people's perspective and their minds and their hearts, it's not just money. In fact, people, I have, I have some people that have told me, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not money. I'm not commissioned. I don't like, I, I love talking to people, but I don't, the, the commission doesn't, it doesn't drive me. I what they want is they want an opportunity to expand and and to grow. And, and growth it tends to be more valuable to people than money. Ironically enough, people say, I need more money. But what they really want is to keep growing because it's a, it's a basic human need. Money is a made-up human thing.
0: Yeah, people don't leave, what is it? The statistic is people don't leave businesses for money. They leave businesses for managers <laughs> because yeah. of managers or because of, for growth usually. So I think it's like 85% of people don't leave for money. And then if you want them, you're going to offer them more money and you haven't fixed the growth problem, um, which sure. is always really interesting. Um, you know, Anytime I left a company, it was because I had maxed out and my potential in that company. Right? Um, yeah, it had been a money hop or it had been for my lifestyle or whatever, but I was always looking for additional growth. Um, the money be damned. I mean, I started my own business. <laughs> seven that's years right. ago and we're still building this thing to where I wanted to be uh you know and I've never been happier and we've never had a tighter budget <laughs> you know but I'm the maker of my own destiny you know exactly right here 10 hours a day and input tax <laughs> returns because that's miserable miserable um bah, 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 bah. So let's talk about um, what skills and tools people need to be successful investors.
1: The the, the the Where this comes from is people tend to think that they can skip right from being a business owner to an investor. And if they're smart, the worst is when somebody is super smart. They tend to become bureaucrats, they become PhDs and and they work for governments or they're per- perfectionists mm-hmm. in, in investing. One of the things you have to get really clear on is that you're going to be wrong, but you have to do it in a, with a mitigated risk personality or or mindset in business, you can literally roll the dice and say, I'm rolling it all on red or black. And if it fails, Hey, you start over and you do another business with, with investing. You don't do that. You just, you, it's not, it, it's irrational. It's crazy because starting over, like if you, if you lose 50% of whatever you have, it takes a hundred percent gain. And as an investor, you're looking at returns and you're looking at compounding and things. And so you, you need to be, You need to be thoughtful around position sizing, for example, where you decide, okay, I'm going to risk whatever my, in my case, it's, it's up to 5% of my liquidity for any one thing I don't control. I have rules and, and people tend to not have rules. They have glands. So they feel Mm -hmm. either they're afraid or they're greedy Mm -hmm. and that's how they invest. And they go, this is sexy. And I'm like, you're an idiot. Go skydiving if you need the juice, but stop doing it with your investments. Business, it can be different where you're, it's, it's more, it's more exciting. There's more relationships. It's. There's some sizzle. It, it tends to need to be more methodical in investing and not so much about the, the headline news or the red line that made you excited or afraid. That's where people get into trouble. They, they, they're they not they're operating from the same head and they need to really tra- retrain and retool their head to look at it differently.
0: So you're saying entrepreneurs don't make really good investors usually.
1: They tend to be the worst investors. I can it's, I, the only ones that are worse are doctors typically because doctors are so smart Thank that they think goodness. that they can- Well, they think that they, they know everything.
0: It's people, doctors, not the animal doctors.
1: Right. Well, you know, it's funny because as a doctor, you go through all this pain and you're, you're smart and like, not everybody can be a doctor because it takes some brains. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't find very many dumb doctors, at least academically. The problem is it's a totally different skill set, And I see a lot of doctors that get sucked into things. And I look at them and I'm like, you're, you're not very smart. Humble doctors can get very rich, Mm -hmm. arrogant doctors get very broke.
0: Yeah. Well, humble doctors are good doctors too, though. Uh,
1: yeah. They tend to ask questions.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really interesting. I actually had a couple clients or I had a couple clients that were doctors and they, um, they were trying to tell me I didn't know how to do my job. And I was like, you, you can go. You, if you think you can do a better, by all means. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye-bye.
1: <laughs> totally get it.
0: Um. Yeah. I don't, I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's talk about, I think we kind of talked about, you know, kind of the big mistakes people make when they direct their own wealth. So let's talk about EQRP. That's your company, right? So yeah. what is EQRP?
1: It's It's the enhanced qualified retirement plan. Okay. When we think about retirement plans, these are all just they're, they're more or less tax shelters in the code. And they're built there to get give people an incentive, which as you know, the entire tax code is a series of incentives to get people to do certain things that the government wants them to do. Mm-hmm. And I always laugh when when somebody in the media, especially like the New York Times says, all these loopholes that Jared Kushner is using called depreciation. And I go, you idiot. This is what actually gets people to go and want to risk capital and build things. Mm-hmm. But anyhow- I, I, I would say
0: the tax code is a bunch of um, uh, special interests, <laughs> right? But yeah, it's called it's incentives. It's special interests. Right. It's incentives. It's
1: it's driving behavior. That's mm-hmm. that's that's the, that's the idea. Mm-hmm. It was, so with retirement accounts, there's this whole section, two primary sections, four hundred one and four hundred eight that incentivize people to put money away for the future so the government doesn't end up being the nanny, which it's getting, I guess, better or worse at. But anyway, it's getting more of. So the idea is if you you take advantage of those, which the government wants you to do, then you get these tax benefits. And with an EQRP, you get the ability to have the tax benefits so you can reduce your taxes or eliminate them altogether. And you get to control your money so that you're not just stuck in mutual funds. Because quite frankly, mutual funds are not going to get anybody rich they're just going to take you along for a ride. You don't. You have no control. And this whole I- this idea that has been propagated throughout society that if you just put your money in and you you don't drink a latte and you wait forty years, you're going to end up with a million dollars and everything's going to be good. You're going to be old and broke because a million dollars isn't going to be worth anything. And and you've just you've pinched pennies, so you have a you have a broke spirit. In reality, if you take control and you start expanding and figuring out how to invest where you're doing something that creates value it's really interesting. Investing in a mutual fund doesn't necessarily create much value other than for Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And so the EQRP gives people the ability to take all those 401ks and the IRAs and invest in things like real estate, in gold, in crypto, in startups, all these things, even your own business. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different game that most people haven't heard of because Wall Street and custodians don't necessarily want to tell you that you can take your money away from their fee system.
0: So how, so... Let's talk about, I want to like talk about self-directed IRAs and stuff real fast. I mean, probably everybody that's listening, not many people understand this because they probably have not seen this. I have a few clients that work in self-directed IRAs. So let's talk about self-directed IRAs and can you explain what those are and then just tell us what the difference is between the two? Yeah,
1: definitely. So self-directed IRAs were, we're basically IRAs and 401ks were all built back in the early seventies. So same time period, IRAs are, they're, they're a default. So if you think about it, most people that if you have a retirement account from an employer or a government or whatever, you get it and you leave and you say, what do I do? Typically, it's rolled into an IRA. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense because there's it's a $10 trillion marketing system, like $10 trillion in assets, a lot of marketing. People say, that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And, and so what's the difference between a self-directed IRA and an EQRP? Well, for one, if you're putting new money in, you can put 6,000 bucks in an IRA. You can put almost 10 times that in an EQRP. So that's that's good. 10x is, is better. Mm-hmm. You can invest really how you want because you've got a checkbook. Even with a self-directed IRA, there's still a custodian, so you're still you still have nice. oversight. You, there, there's rules, there's friction, Stuff. and it's it it's not as much fun. Um, but hmm. big differences. Okay, fun, fine. But you know, do you need fun? Maybe, maybe not. Big differences. Like if you want to do things like invest in real estate with an IRA, and you let's say you invest in an apartment building which a lot of people would like to do. They'd like to have an apartment that pays them cash flow. You do that with an IRA, you're going to potentially pay 37% tax on a pretty big chunk of your profits in the IRA. Whereas with an EQRP, you pay zero. That's called UBIT tax. And most people don't know that's going to hit them. So self-directed IRA investors oftentimes do things like real estate. You do not want to do real estate with self-directed IRAs most of the time. That's right. probably the biggest one
0: because you're going to be required to take min- um, acquire minimum distributions at some point, and then you're going to have to sell that item to get that to work in the that, IRA. That's the that's also a problem. Real estate and IRAs. Yeah, people do a ton of real estate, but I have some people in my like close sphere that do, and they always are just grumbling about people in their self-directed IRAs in the real estate.
1: Well, there it, it also creates a lot of problems because you have a custodian that sometimes can take weeks. To get anything done, you want to have something done. You submit a form, you wait. They come back and they say we need something else, and and I go, why would you do that? And they go, why? Well, that's what I have to do. And I say, well, if you actually were in charge and you got to sign the form as the trustee of your EQRP, mm-hmm. there is no delay. There's no friction. There's no pain. You're the person doing the real estate deal actually likes you because you fund on time. Like it's it's just a better system.
0: That's interesting. So what? So how does it work? So how do you get an EQRP? Is this a business? Do you do this individually? Is it like very similar to like signing up for a 401k?
1: Yeah, so the EQRP is under the 401 section. So basically it's it, anybody that has any type of business. This could be a consulting business where you're mowing lawns, you have an online eBay store, mm-hmm. you have an employee, uh, you have 50 employees, any type of business. You can, you can be an employee and have a business. Mm-hmm. So you just have to have a business it's, and, and that business is the sponsor just like any company that has a 401k is the sponsor. So you get to be the sponsor, your, your, your thing. And it can be a sole proprietorship, just you. And once you have that in place, you can start contributing income and or roll money in from other retirement accounts. And then all of a sudden you have control of your stuff. So it's there's a lot of confusion on the Google because people don't actually know what the reality is because it's a complex part of the IRS code. It's not something that a lot of people go through the brain damage of understanding.
0: I and mean, even me, no. like just trying to do tax stuff, like for that stuff, like, okay, what is our total deduction? Wait, what, how many wages? Like, yeah. Oh, what, what if we have a Roth component? Like I'm, I'm just like, oh, math, you know, it's like, do you have a custodian for this? <laughs> do you have an administrator? Cause I'm not sure I've got this correct. Cause it's can be really, really, really complex. And I, you know, anybody that has a 401k plan or whatever, I'm just like, you need an administrator. Like, there's just so much compliance that has to happen here and we got to get it right. Um, I'm not touching it.
1: Um, and I think that's why most, by why a lot of people default to the thing that's more or less done for them, which is either a 401k in a mutual fund or a self-directed IRA with a custodian, mm-hmm. because then they don't have to do work. Work is, and, and in your case, you know, being tax professionals there, it's, it's a different part of the code that takes way too much time for most tax professionals to go deep into because why would you do that there's too much tax code you got to focus on something
0: right and it's also not in our scope a lot of the time too like totally we're not we're not administering that (laughs) yeah you know and we probably shouldn't you know i think a lot of the time especially if you're like got the payroll as well you probably shouldn't be doing both it's just not safe this is what this is
1: what this is what teams are for. I mean, this yeah. when it comes down to it, when you're the idea of wealth is not something you do by yourself. It's it's yeah. having the right team and it's having specialists that come together and people that can play together. Mm-hmm. Like there, you don't you don't see rich people doing everything themselves. I have one friend that I used to watch and he's an MBA, PhD, CPA, double PhD. I mean, the guy was smarter than God. I mean, he was just ridiculous. And he did everything himself. And I, I was like, You are what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And it was it, I think people get the wrong idea. Like they need to be super smart. You just need to make sure you have a really great team and then you can communicate with them and get the the, the general understanding. A lot of people make the m- mistake because they think Google is their team mm-hmm. and Google is not your team. Google is your confusion factor.
0: Yeah. And I always tell people like, I stay in my lane for a lot of reasons, but the big one is you need other advisors. Yeah, We need to all be at the table working towards your goals. And we might all want to do that in different ways. But at least we're all on the same page, right? So it's not just me being like, well, I'm your everything. So I'm going to tell you to invest in this thing. That
1: this MBA- is not the notebook.
0: <laughs> yeah, it could be, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, why would you hand everything to one person, especially when you're dealing with like your business finances and like all this stuff? It's like that it's so much risk, mm-hmm. you know, like why would you want your CPA to give you legal advice, you know? <laughs> Why would you want your CPA to give you investment advice? Rarely are we forward thinking. That's a fact. You know, it, rarely. I, I am, I, but I, most budgets you know, aren't.
1: I think that's a good, that's a good, uh it's a good point to make that really taking the advice from people, you you take advice from the appropriate people, the appropriate advice from the appropriate people. Don't ask the wrong people for advice and stop listening to people that are trying to give you advice. Like when your brother-in-law says, here's what you should invest in, tell him stop. Stop sharing because you're broker than, than dirt. Like when people do that, they, everybody has advice. Ask somebody, I'd like your expert opinion. They'll tell you, even though they've never even heard of what you're talking about. Oh, let me tell you what I read on MSNBC or Yahoo. I'll tell you all about this. No, listen to people that know what they're doing. I always say, go, go for the balder grayer folks that have been through hell, that have actually experienced it and ask them what they think.
0: Right. It's always, you know, one of my biggest soapboxes is s Corp. Like every business needs to be an (laughs) S-corp. And I'm just like, stop it! Why are you an S corp? Oh, because no. the person next door to my, you know, farmers market booth set was an S corp, and they said I should be an S corp. And I was like, were they qualified to give you that in- that that information?
1: Yeah, well, they sold they sold they sold tomatoes, Jamie. <laughs> they were they were totally qualified.
0: Yeah, well, they have tax people. Okay, so that specific was for them, not for you right?
1: Maybe good to listen to appropriate people.
0: <laughs> appropriate people with appropriate ability to analyze things. Uh, let's see. I think that's almost all I had for you. That's crazy. Um, so real quick, um, what is, what is the easiest way for people to find you?
1: I best way to find me is to, is to visit eqrp.co and and check out check out the website if you want to talk to me personally find me on linkedin but the you know the the specialty where where i live and if you want to hear me rant you can go to financial underdogs and this is a by the way you never have an interview and give people three different things to do because they're like ah what do i do so if you want more of just my hair brained ideas and how i see the world Mm -hmm. you can hear me more just like you know your your show you get people get to hear you (laughs) but the reality is you know most people either could use some help with retirement stuff or they know somebody. And that would be a really good thing for people to get some information around. And you, you can go to the site eqrp.co and get a copy of the book that I'll send to you for free. And, and that'll give you some some insights and some new tools.
0: I do have it somewhere.
1: Yeah, it does come. Well, yours came in a fancy box. Everybody else's comes in a different box. It's also kind of fancy.
0: Mine came in a fancy box. Why the red pens?
1: So I like red pens. Red pens tend to engage you. There's a kinesthetic connection where you're, it's it's almost a spiritual thing. When your fingers are doing something with a book, and I, I like to use red pens for everything, I like to mark things up, and, and it it engages us. It's like trying to learn martial arts through a book or a video. You can't do it. You got to actually go out there and move around. Same with reading. If, if The average person retains like 5 to 10% of what they read, and if you use a pen, you double or triple that, and red pens stick out, and they're more fun. I call them snappy red pens, and I just, I love red pens.
0: I just had a moment. I was like, why red? I mean, I loved it. I love. Red pens. It's bold. I mean, I'm a, yeah. I'm a CPA. Like I've marked plenty of things up in red p- pens or red marks. Um, so yep. it's just very interesting that you sent red pens, and I was like, I have to ask about those. It's very interesting. Awesome. Um, so what is, in your opinion, the one thing entrepreneurs or business owners need to do today to realize their potential in their business and and personal life?
1: I I think one of the most important things people can do is look out 10 years. I think they could everybody should read the price of tomorrow and understand what's coming because what we can what we think is coming is based on a lineal, linear understanding of time and progress because biologically we grow. and we evolve in a linear respect, things happen very slowly. Because of technology, everything's changing exponentially and our brains are having a hard time getting around that. We can't even foresee what that would look like. Great companies, whether it's Netflix or or Tesla, they're looking forward 10, 15, 20 years and they're building for that. Netflix didn't build a company around DVD distribution. They knew where microprocessing technology was going to where they would actually, they knew it was coming because it's happening predictably. Mm So they were building a company around digital delivery. They knew that they were doing that. And Blockbuster said, we're going to have more candy in the aisle, and that'll be good, and that's going to be fine. And they got destroyed. So any business, anybody, whatever you're doing, if you're a truck driver, you're going to get disrupted. Your job is going away this decade. For sure, it's going away. So seeing that and thinking about that with other people that are future thinking, that can understand exponential thinking, studied Peter Diamandis. But really looking 10 years down the road to a world that does not we can't even understand in today's perspective is important because it's coming, whether you prepare for it or not.
0: Yeah. Um, what does it say? You underestimate how much you can do in 10 years and overestimate how much you can do in a year?
1: Yeah, that's, that's never been more relevant than it is now because of the, the tools and the technologies that are going to give us, I mean, they're going to make most things irrelevant. I mean, accounting is going to be very different in 10 years because of automation that's and right AI. Right, and it's everything, medicine, legal, banking, it's all shifting and it's all gonna be very, very automated. We're not gonna have like we had before where something gets disrupted and new industries create the jobs. The jobs are going away in in large part and people will argue with this but they're they're still thinking linear. Mm -hmm. They're not thinking exponential. Exponential disrupts and disables most things because it creates efficiencies out of automation.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to watch um, just my industry change. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. and who's the early adopters and who isn't. That's why our focus is on advisory because pretty soon my brain is going to be the most valuable thing around here. I mean, right. it pretty much already is, but well, everything else will just be automated. That's like it'll just spit out, spit out the data I need and I'll look at it and I'll make some changes and I'll be like, all right, here you go you know, is it right? Is it wrong? Did it fix? Did it get it right? Um, but pretty soon and that's and that's why our focus is on advisory because they yeah. can't, the, the machines can't make decisions like we, like people can. So we have to focus on where we're still actually going to be relevant.
1: <laughs> it's true.
0: You know, once blockchain is like all up in here, we don't even have to do any bookkeeping anymore. I'm all yep. about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Prepare. or You're going to get run over. That's bottom line. That's your takeaway.
0: I love it. Prepare. or You're going to get run over. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant.